what I think separates the kind of journalism that I admire most from that which I do not is the effort by reporters and editors to verify information. My guest today is Richard Oppel. Richard was the editor of the Austin American Statesman from 1995 to 2008. Before that, he edited the Charlotte Observer and led that news team to three Pulitzer Prizes. Today, he's the editorial advisor to the Austonia, a new digital-only newsletter and website focused on, well... Austin. Today we talk about media literacy, how social media reinforces confirmation bias, and how Facebook could spell doom for local newspapers. But first, your questions. Hi, Richard. My question is to you as a reporter. Um, I know that you have a history in newspaper and other print, and my question is, do you get the same satisfaction off of podcasting and radio as you do with the printed format as a reporter? A little background. I spent 12 years in radio back in the 1980s and early 1990s before I moved to newspaper. Uh, and you all know that I launched a fairly regular live interview uh, while I was at the Taylor Press a few years back. What I enjoyed about that effort really was that it combined my love of theater and my fascination with politics, current events and storytelling and storytelling is storytelling. The platform, the newspaper platform is in some ways easier for me than the live interviews or this new podcast format, but mostly because I'm familiar with the technology of newspaper. I've never been comfortable with the tech necessary for Pints Politics and Culture or Talk on Tap, and though I'm learning, I'm still somewhat uncomfortable with the tech necessary for this. I mean, it's not like I have a production team to help me out on it. Uh, same satisfaction? Well, if we can develop an audience and get some feedback, very likely. This is fun. And once again, uh, once I get a grip on the software and the required techniques, I suspect I'll have every bit of the love of this kind of reporting as I do for print. Thanks for the question. While I prepped for last week's show, I got a bunch of questions about journalism. So... I reached out to a couple of experts for a conversation. This week, my guest is Richard Oppel. Here's the interview. Good morning. Good morning, Richard. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing wonderful. Uh, before we get started, or as we get started, uh, why don't tell us tell us a little bit about what uh, about your latest project that you're kind of peripherally involved in, or more than just peripherally, right? Yeah, uh, Austonia.com is a website, newsletter as well, started by Mark Dewey, who's a longtime friend. Mark has got a background in technology and news from AOL and CNN, came to Austin about 15 years ago. We were neighbors and uh, kind of restarted our friendship a few years back, and he decided to start this new site, which launched a couple months back. Um, right in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, uh, he had planned to begin it later, probably in April. And then um, we actually launched uh, in early March. Uh, and I think Mark's, uh, Mark's uh, view was, you know, there's some risks in doing this. Um, the economy is shutting down. 
but we have a service to readers. This is a good time to start to provide them with another source of information. Right. So, so at the outside, at, at the outset, we did focus pretty heavily on coronavirus, and still do. But the the, the staple of the site is broadened a good deal from that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, why? Just just curious. Why uh, an Austin focused digital uh, news organization? Well, Mark would be the best source of that, but from my from my perspective, uh, local news is uh, heavily challenged now. You see uh, traditional print media fading across the nation. Um, there's a couple of exceptions like the Washington Post and the New York Times, but they're really not uh, local news. They're major national and international purveyors. So to have another channel of news for Austin, which is a vigorous, large, growing community, seemed the right thing to do. And uh, I'm you know, glad to lend my shoulder to the task. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're they're fortunate to have you uh, advising them how to how, how to make things go, uh, Richard. The reason that I wanted to talk to you is that as I was talking about launching my own little thing, my little podcast here, people who I thought I felt like were intelligent, curious, and and nuanced people started asking, well, where do you go to find the truth? And I could almost hear the capital T in the in the truth. Uh, <laughs> And, and of course, you know, well, you can't turn to a news organization for that. (laughs) But, you know, the the conversation, the contentious conversations that I have locally are uh, revolve around the concept of fake news. And I'm putting massive air quotes and rolling my eyes pretty hard when when I say that, because I know it frustrates me when I hear that. Uh, Does that frustrate you when you hear that phrase and people uh, talking about the lack of trust in media? No, not not so much, to tell you the truth. I think that uh, the sentiment of skepticism about news is basically healthy. I advise people to uh, look at multiple sources. I do. I look at, on a daily basis, Austonia, the American Statesman, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, uh, occasionally the Post, uh, on television, um, MSNBC, Fox, uh, CNN, NewsHour. Uh, and the conventional traditional network uh, shows in the evening. So, you know, uh, I have my favorites, but from each of those I get um, some news, and I I think the putting it together gives me a pretty good sense of of what's going on. Truth, I'm not sure that I can determine truth, um, particularly in the the haze and smoke of – the free-for-all every day of what's going on in politics, culture, society. I, I search for facts. I think that's um, kind of a holy grail if you can determine factually what has occurred and then search for the meaning of that, why, how, who's involved. You begin to get a picture. But, you know, Richard, we have become a, a very segmented uh, uh, society and people say they want truth, but often I think they're looking for affirmation of their own perspective on life. I, and I think you're right. That's actually a follow-up question is, do you feel like social media is part of the, uh, has had an impact on that, and I call it confirmation bias, um, uh, and, and how people consume information? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think social media is, is dominant. Now, when I post something on Facebook, I may get uh, 10 times the number of responses uh, to it that I got from an, a, a column I would have written 15 years ago for the right. American Statesman. It's intense, active. Um, people feel very strongly about what they see. Um, and they look for people, again, who I think uh, affirm or um, backstop their own thinking, by and large. Um, but there's a lot of good things that are happening on social media. And I think you just got to be a, a, a discreet, uh, knowing consumer of all of that uh, and be prepared to push aside the trash. What do you wish people knew about how journalism is produced? Because I think that that's part of that trust factor is a lot of times, you know, we, we try real hard as journalists to be as transparent as we possibly can. I, I do, and I, I know that you did, about how we go about doing our, our jobs. What do you wish people really understood about the process of committing journalism? One, one word uh, would sum it up that I don't think would occur among the first 100 words uh, that most people would think about when they think about uh, journalism, and that's verification. What I think separates the kind of journalism that I admire most from that which I do not is the effort by reporters and editors to verify information. There's all sorts of wild stuff out there. You can find it very easily. But the great newspapers that I'm familiar with go to the last degree to verify the factuality, the accuracy, uh, the fairness, the balance, which is a, a much maligned word now of what they put on their print pages or on their websites. So if I, if I can find that newspaper that I know verifies news and information, that they check sources, they double check accuracy, and then they write the story, I, I'm pretty confident. I think if people thought of news that way and didn't, you know, lump all news purveyors together, but look for those who do the really good work, then I think they would uh, be inclined to trust it more. And I think that that as 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 audiences or when audiences understand that there's not a reporter out there working for a print publication or a, that's probably a too broad a brush. But there are very few reporters out there who purposefully um, uh, disseminate things that they know are unfactual. Yeah. I mean, I, I've obviously run into them. Uh, and oh, well, sure, them. we all have. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and when I do, they're out the door. Right. Uh, but the vast majority, I mean, it's like dentists, doctors, lawyers, um, scholars. You always have a few bad apples in the uh, bushel. But most people in those endeavors and others seek to do right. They seek to do business honestly with integrity. And with the customer in mind. And I think the best of journalists do the same. Well, you went burned through some of my questions pretty fast there. So what, what do you, I know that you with the Austonia uh, are, are that is a supposed to be or I think the intent is a reader supported type of a news product. Is that correct? Is that the direction you guys are going? At this point, we're investor-supported. Um, Mark uh, is uh, far and away the largest investor, but there are a handful of others. Um, it'll be advertiser-supported, too. You can see a couple of ads that are running on there today. Right. I saw um, the, 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 the Zoom alternative. I'm interested in that one. That's right. And uh, Tito's Vodka is uh, a uh, sponsor. So we, we're looking for uh, – 
revenue from all sources on that. Reader supported. That's a decision for for Mark. Uh, right now, it's uh, accessible to all open to all. Go to austonia.com and sign up for our newsletter and you'll get something each morning uh, in your inbox at uh, 6 a.m. and then uh, alerts uh, through the day. We'll see where it goes. I mean, it's a business model that is not conventional for digital media across the board. Most um, seek public funding or reader funding on a volunteer basis, and that's great. There are some uh, wonderful ones out there. I'm a big fan of the Texas Tribune. You know, it's not local news, and that's what we're going to be doing. Well, and and I I understand that. I think my question really... I've spent the better part of my career working in small communities, you know, uh, Cameron, Texas, Taylor, uh, Gonzales, Marble Falls, places like that. And, you know, I see the success of the Tribune and and and, and I hope and I wish for you guys the same kind of success on a local level. And I agree, um, you know, the Tribune's great for a statewide publication, but they don't. They can't really do local news no. and they can't really do community news. And I've actually uh, parsed those as two different brands of journalism, quite frankly, um, or coverage areas are certainly much different. Uh, right. I mean, in a, in, a, in a daily like the Statesman, the, 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 the chances of you running into the subject of your interview in the grocery store at church are relatively slim. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens to me all the time. You know, right. I, I, I write an editorial about the mayor and I'm probably going to run into him at, at the grocery <laughs> store or at coffee the next day. And sometimes he might seek me out. <laughs> um, and I have, I have great respect for that, uh, for community journalism and the special considerations that you all have. We do have a, a familiarity and intensity of relationships, and that's good. That uh, makes it makes for better journalism than metropolitan journalism in many ways. Your reader, just as you as the editor and publisher, your reader, uh, knows the people in those stories too. Mm-hmm. That's true. They will re- react with strength, uh, positively or sometimes negatively, to what they're reading. So you you get immediate feedback, and uh, and balancing the you know the independence and courage of telling the truth with the necessity for staying in business is something that you that the uh, big city reporter can brush aside. Uh, with bravado, but you can't do that in a no. community. You got to make that thing work. This, this is true. And I, I, I was leading to uh, this is a question I'm asking just about everybody I talk to who's in the who's in the industry, and that is, do you see do you see a way for the digital model to be something successful in smaller communities? I mean, in other words, can a can a Texas Tribune scale down to an Austin or to a Williamson County or something like that? Yeah, uh, I think easily to Austin, um, with some more difficulty probably in Williamson County. And and really, it's I think the bugaboo here that I worry about is Facebook and to a lesser extent, Google. Um, We as editors and publishers have kind of opened up our trove of content to Facebook and Google. And so they gain our hard work free and then they monetize it. Uh, by distributing on Facebook, 
uh, along with their ads, not your ads, but their ads. Right. Uh, so what that does, and it's very easy if you're a Williamson County uh, merchant to buy a Facebook ad. It's all automatic and simple and cheap and so on. And so they have a uh, an advantage. I've talked to Facebook executives, some of whom I know, and I said, you are destroying local news little by little, and you need to come to some kind of realization that there will be no local news for you to hijack if you keep it up. There's got to be some partnerships in this that do not now exist. And that would that counts for Williamson County just as much as Austin, I think, over the long haul. What is what is their response when you when you when you talk to them like that? Token. At this point, uh, the engagement people they have will say, yeah, we recognize the reality of that. We're helping fund local journalism. We're offering scholarships to uh, journalists and so on. And all that's fine and uh, beneficial in small ways. But there's got to be real monetary partnerships. And Facebook right now is led by a guy who's uh, Mark Zuckerberg who's facing a reckoning. He's uh, taken refuge in not being a quote-unquote news medium uh, until this point, and now he's losing 100 advertisers or more because he just allows his platform to become a a wasteland for anything that somebody wants to put up on it. Now he's probably having to, he is having to uh, adjust to become a editor in the sense of being a gatekeeper to some extent, Not, not to the extent that you are, but he will get there sooner or later. And at that point, I think what you and I, I do or what I did will become more important to him because we are gatekeepers and can provide news and information that is of value. And, and it's verified. You know, it's we know it's true. You're not going to let something out in Williamson County that you don't have faith and confidence in the, the accuracy and the fairness of it. That's true. At least I hope not. And if my reporter does that, he's gone. Well, we're all going to make mistakes. We do make mistakes. And and then when we make a mistake, the proper thing to do is admit the mistake and correct it promptly. And that that is true. I mean, you know, um, uh, at the Hill Country News, we have a daily program called First Draft. And the reason we called it that is, as you're probably very aware, you know, we consider the news the first draft of history, which means we're not going to get it 100 percent correct every single time. Uh, It's next to impossible because, you know, the the situations change. Uh, I can use the current uh, trying to follow the coronavirus and and, and its impact on our county and on the state uh, as a great case in point. We're as news media, we're not making this stuff up and we are we are repeating the information as it is given to us by credible sources, or at least they should be. They are a local health department. But the but but the way they the way they track it changes. I know up here in Williamson County, it's changed at least three times. The way they track it has changed at least three times since the beginning, since the middle of March. Right. And right. And, and and therefore, things that we said two weeks ago may not be as accurate as we thought they were when we said them two weeks ago. Yeah, well, you're operating as we all do it from time to time in kind of the haze of. Uh and chaos of today's news and you got a deadline so you do your best to look through that haze and figure out what is real and what is not real and you put it together and tomorrow it may look quite different in fact we're, we're talking about uh our conference this morning our, our editorial meeting this morning was because the data is the the current data is coming in so late
in the day. And when it comes in, we don't have time to parse it, right? To, to, to right. figure out what's what's new, what's different, what's what what's important in this piece in, in in this report. So we're actively talking about delaying that report a full twenty four hours so mm-hmm. that we have time to look at it and to look yeah. at the data and to make sure that we understand what it's saying before we just go live and start reading reading something off a piece of paper that we haven't had a chance to internalize into process. That's a classic case of verification. Uh, that's that's my thought. Uh, I'm I'm fighting a little. I've got a little pushback from my staff. They want to. <laughs> they're like, we'd rather do it at eight in the morning. And I'm like, I don't want anybody getting up at eight, eight in the morning and trying to do a live broadcast. That's just not. <laughs> we're reporters. We're we're up late at night. We are not necessarily uh, <laughs> coaching at eight a.m. <laughs> right. We may be up, but that doesn't mean right. that we're we're uh, that our brains are fully engaged in the in the day. Um, is is there is there anything else that you think people ought to know about the business of news? Well, let's see. <laughs> it's just a string think, of ones. It's just a string of ones and zeros, Richard. <laughs> I, you know, I look at the future um, optimistically. I, I think that um, dead tree journalism will come to a halt. In five, six, seven years, you're already seeing um, some very, very good newspapers like the St. Petersburg Times, Tampa Bay Times is called now, uh, suspend publication two or three times a week, print publication. Uh, but I think that the, you know, if you talk, if I talk to my grandchildren uh, or if you talk to your children, fewer and fewer are getting their news from conventional print, whether it's newspapers or magazines. And I've edited both. Uh, more and more, it's digital. That's where our readers are going. But you can do everything and more on a digital platform that we could do on print. If you look at the graphics, for example, in the New York Times these days, uh, their digital side, they're just amazing. So, uh, and my son is a New York Times reporter. He led the front page um, yesterday morning with a piece on coronavirus. And I said, uh, sent him a text and said, you're leading page one. He said, I didn't know that. And then we talked. And what he, what, <laughs> he, did, he didn't know he was leading page one on the no, New York Times. <laughs> he, does, he doesn't read the print edition. He said the key thing for reporters like me now is how long does your story stay on the homepage of the website? And for him, it was 22 hours, which was a big, big deal. Right. So, yeah. So uh, it, it's all shifting there. And that's where we're going to have to make our peace and make our living. And uh, that's where our readers are going to be. So I think it's important to get there as soon as possible. Now, that may be a little bit different in a community where, you know, people are out to the grocery store and a gas station and are looking for your print edition um, uh, more so than they would be for the statesman on the uh, doorstep, but right. that's the trend. That's the pattern pretty clearly. I, I can't disagree. I think that, that print is going to survive longer in those smaller communities, largely due to the age of the population. Yeah. You know, the, the here in Taylor, when I was the publisher in Taylor, uh, we went to a, from a five day week to a twice a week. And the biggest complaint we got, and it was a consistent complaint for the next four years, was, but I can't get my obituaries every day. Yeah. And we yeah. would respond, well, we post them online the moment we get them. And, and, and we did. Yeah. And the response was, yeah, 
but I don't have a computer. Yeah. yeah. And invariably, the age of the, of the individual was 60 plus and probably even older than that, quite frankly. Um, yeah. So I, I think that, that, that you're, you're correct, but, the, um, but they'll stay in the smaller communities longer than they will in the urban and, and metropolitan areas. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking a few minutes out of your morning to visit with me. And um, uh, this has been very entertaining. I appreciate it. Well, a great pleasure. And uh, let's talk again. I enjoyed it. And uh, good luck with your newspaper. And and uh, I'll see you in Williamson County one of these days, maybe. Thank you, sir. You bet. Thank you, Richard. Take care. Well, friends, another one's in the books. The Ragged Edge is a production of RTS Connect, helping public-facing organizations make their point, then stay on point. Opinions expressed on this program are those of the speakers, and not necessarily those of Black Sparrow Radio. Production assistance provided by Shannon and her free-range volunteers, and our thanks to them for this platform. Original theme music composed and performed by Ryan Stone. Thanks for listening to The Ragged Edge on Black Sparrow Radio. We'll see you next week. Thank you.